Amen, amen, amen. Let's give a round of applause for Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. So first and foremost, I want to thank each and every one of you, women and young women, for attending tonight. This has been an ongoing women's tea for years, years and generations. So we just give God all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise that he and he alone is due tonight. This morning, excuse me. All right, let me just get this thing open. Sorry, they tried to mic me up earlier, and I was just like, I don't know what to do with my hands when, when, I, when I'm not holding something. So first and foremost, again, we want to welcome you. Thank you so much for attending. Those that are currently here and those online, those that will watch this at a later time, I believe that the Lord has a word today to release to his daughters, to release to his daughters. As I was in prayer, I began asking him, Lord, you know, though these are my sisters in the faith and stuff, these are ultimately your daughters. So do what you want to do here. Say what you want to say. Relay what you have to say. So currently my ears are inclined to hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to say. Not myself speaking. I just move myself out of the way and I'm yielded unto him and him alone. And so I would like to honor my pastors, Pastor John and Pastor Debbie Nitzel. Thank you so much for your commitment, for your faithfulness. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We love you, we honor you, and we are so appreciative for all that you do for the kingdom of God. As well for Pastor Karen, praise God. Let's give her a round of applause. There are many hours, many hours that she spends putting these events together. You know, I, I, as I got here this morning, she's taking phone calls and she's texting people and she's running around the whole place and she does it with such grace, praise God. So we honor you, we thank you for all that you do for each and every one of us here. And secondly, um, lastly, excuse me, I would like to also honor my husband. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your, your governing. Thank you for being the head of our home. And thank you that, that without you, without the Lord leading you into my life, um, I really wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't be as mature in the word that I am today. Um, there was a lot of things that he had to go through early on in our relationship. As the Lord began to strip things away from me, he really took a lot of the backlash, a lot of the anger, a lot of the things that I really dealt with in my inner being that a lot of people don't get to see. And so thank you. I honor you. I love you. Yeah. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Yeah. So I want to stand before you women right now, and I want to openly confess that Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior. He's the Lord and Savior of our home. He is the one and only God that we preach, that we minister, and that by him and him alone that people are redeemed, that they are set free. It's only by him, by his wonder-working power. So I want you all to know that as I stand before you, I don't only stand before you as, as someone that's come through things, but my very testimony is about who he is. That everything in this word, in this book right here, has been living, it's been active in my own life. And I can only minister what I've been through. I can only minister what he's brought in me from. So glory to my King of Kings and my Lord of Lords. And if you would just bow your heads with me just for a moment so we can just enter 
Father, we just enter into your gates with thanksgiving, my King. We enter into your courts with praise, oh God. I thank you, my Lord, for leading this holy event today. I thank you, Lord, that women, that women and young women alike, Lord, that you have them exactly where you want them in this very moment. I thank you, Father, that the meditations of my mouth and the, the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth, I pray, Father, that they would be acceptable unto you, O Lord, for you are my strength and you are my redeemer. Thank you, Lord. Move me out of the way. I pray, Father, that as they hear my testimony come forth, that they would see your hand in all of it from the very beginning to where I stand today, my God, that they wouldn't look at me but that they would see you operating and moving through me, my God. And if you did it for me, that you can surely do it for them, that you can do it for their loved ones, oh God. You could do it for their sisters, for their family members, that you could do it for their next neighbors, oh God. I thank you, Lord, that we are in a time and a moment of revival, my Lord. I know that it wasn't a coincidence that that song had come up, oh Lord. So we thank you, Father, that you are the ultimate revivalist. And we lift up your name. We give you honor. We give you glory. And we give you all the praise that you are due. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> praise God. All right. If we could just. All right. Okay. So I just want to open up really quickly with a scripture that he had really placed on my heart. And it's Psalms 107, 1 through 9. It's going to be placed up at the top in the NLT version. So it said, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak about it. Tell others he has redeemed you from your enemies, for he has gathered the exiles from many lands, from the east and west, from the north and south. Some wandered in the wilderness, lost and homeless, hungry and thirsty. They nearly died. Lord, help. They cried in their trouble. And he rescued them from their distress. He led them straight to safety, to a city where they could live. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. I know that this isn't my only... I know that this scripture isn't only for me. I know that there's women here today that the Lord has redeemed that he has set free, that he has taken you from darkness into his marvelous light. I know that there's women here today with testimonies, whether they're similar to mine or they look a little bit different. It's a testimony that speaks of the goodness of God in our lives, right? Because it's only the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. It's only the goodness of God that brought me unto repentance. And so today I have the honor and the privilege to speak to you, um, to relate to you, my testimony, I've been asked to relay my testimony. And so I want to dive in three specific areas. I want to speak about what he rescued me from, that he is the rescuer. I was drowning. I was in an area of drowning. He came with the lifeboat. My life was on the midst of, I mean, it was in disaster. I was, I was, every day I stood death. I stared death in the face. And it was him and him alone that rescued me, that redeemed me. And he didn't just redeem me. He also restored me. And so as we go through this testimony, you're going to get to see all three parts of those things. And I don't want you just to see them just in my own testimony. I want you to think about them and what he's done for your life and what he's going to continue to do for your life and the life of your loved ones. Because this is not the end. This is only the beginning. It's only the beginning. 
And so I grew up, um, as I've already been introduced, my name is Ashley Rivera. I grew up in El Paso, Texas, born and raised out there. I currently am married seven years. I have two children, beautiful children, an 11 and a seven-year-old. And it's only by the grace of God that they are here today with me as well, because the enemy had tried to take them. So I grew up in a life like so many back home. So many grew up in a life of distress. I grew up in poverty. I grew up in drug addiction. My mother was an alcoholic. My mother was a drug addict. My mother was a, a, a stripper. My mother was, yeah, my mom was, was, was. Let's make sure to emphasize that word. She was all of those things. My mom was a gang member. And so in a life like that, as you would suspect, as you would expect, there's people coming in and out of the house on a daily basis, men and women, trying to crave, they're trying to get their fixes. We've dealt with situations in my childhood where you would step out of the room and not only was I living in a roach-infested home filled with filth, and you didn't know when your parents were gonna get back the next day, my mom would be from man to man to man. Almost every other week we had a new man in the house. And so a lot of the time we had to just stay secluded in the room because of the unsafe conditions that we were living in. In between all of that weekly, my mom would be getting beaten by these men and we would come out to see her drenched in blood on the corners of the floor and, and just holding herself. And I just remember just trying to clean off the blood off of her constantly. You know, we grew up and... and, and and in between all of this, she never ran to, she, you know, we didn't grow up in a family or a generation that knew the Lord. I didn't grow up in those ways. I didn't grow up like a lot of other people. Even in poverty, I remember that some days there wasn't even food to eat because the food stamps, the government assistance, was being sold for the next fix. It was being sold for, for, the, for the next drug use. You know, and so there's a lot of days we went hungry. We always had hand-me-down clothes, if that. Um, my biological father ended up going to prison uh, when I was young. He went to prison for 12 years. And so even after he had gotten out, we didn't um, restore relationship or anything else in that sort. And I believe that the Lord will work on that in his perfect timing. I believe in God's perfect timing. And um, so regarding my childhood... Um, yeah, a lot of families live like that out there. A lot of people grow up like that. It's, it's, it's conditions and situations that no child should be a part of. No person should have to endure those types of, 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 of living. You know, I remember being young and, and they would give us alcohol to put us to sleep, to silence us. Oh, put the kids to sleep. Just get them quiet enough so, because it was a party house. So our house wasn't only a drug house. It was, an, a, I mean, it was the party house. Our house was known. And my mom wasn't only a, a drug, I mean, a gang member, but they ran the gang. Our family ran the gang. They were the main gang members. They were the ones that got everybody else together. They were the leaders of the gang. And so being in a situation like that, as you can imagine, people would come weekly 
and try to fight gangs. There's a lot of gang violence. And so we've had our house shot at too many times, more times than I can remember. So when Eddie spoke the other day and said that it's a miracle that I stand before you today, it's truly a miracle and it's truly only by the grace of God that I can stand before you because there were days that we would be sitting down and bullets would fly through the walls and we would have to lay on our bellies underneath the beds trying to protect our other brothers and sisters from this. And so that's just a little insight, a little look of what I grew up in. You know, and a lot of the time, it's easy to blame your parents. It's easy to look at this stuff and be like, oh, man, her mom, whoo, goodness. But my mom was only a product of what she was exposed to. There's a thing called generational curses and generational patterns that follow us. And I can tell you standing before you today that I am not only a generational curse breaker, but yeah, but I'm also a first generational saved in the family. And so growing up from a childhood like that, I winded up following the same and the similar patterns that were brought in on me. That the, the things I had seen in my life, I winded up doing almost the similar things. And so at the age of 16, so backtrack just a few years before that, at the age of 11 was the first time in my life I tried to commit suicide. And I had attempted a total of six times since that very moment. I remember digging the, the, the glasses into my hands. And when you feel so numb in your life, when, when, when you just feel numb, when all you want to do is die, and then you begin questioning, like, why am I here? Why am I alive? Like, there has to be more to life than this. And I wasn't surrounded by people that knew the Lord. I wasn't surrounded by people that, that had hope to give because everybody was in darkness. And darkness only breeds more darkness. So there was no one there to shine a light until one time my mom winds up getting with this, this gentleman and he steps in the scene and he says, I'm a Christian. And so he starts taking us to church on Sundays, and we are loving it. But then as soon as we would get back home, he would be the one slanging the drugs. He'd be over there doing all the drugs on his own. And so I got to see and experience very quickly what these Christians that I thought in my own mind at this time, oh, this is fake. This is fake. This isn't real. All it was was him giving the Lord a bad name. So immediately, I began shielding myself. I hated religion. I hated God. I hated the way that I lived. And no one could talk to me about anything else other than that because no one knew that I lived in hell every single day in my life. No one knew the torment, the torture that I would have to put up. And it was very quickly in the relationship that he began uh, encouraging her to beat us. He would begin utilizing scripture, don't spare the rod. And so as he would tell her, don't spare the rod, don't spare the, you know, you have to do this. This is what my dad did to me, and look at me. He knocked me straight. And so she quickly adjusted to that. It went from just drugs and everything else and stuff to now physical abuse. And so every day we had to go through physical abuse. In between the physical, it was mental, emotional, you're nothing. You will never become anything. You are beep, 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 beep. Every word in the book I have been called. Every single one of them. 
And I remember that, you know, when I would stab those things in my hands, when I would cause and afflict pain upon myself, I felt more alive than I had ever felt in my life. And I thought that that was truly living. All it did was it, it, it drowned out the pain that I had felt, the, the lack of love, the lack of even life that I wanted to live. And so it just drowned that out for me. And all it did was put my attention on that new thing. And that's exactly what was happening with them. They were in darkness. They were in, they were lost. They were distressed. They, they didn't know what they were doing. And so instead, they wound up reverting to the drugs. That is what they used to, to, to drown out life, to drown out their situations and their circumstances. And all that was, those things only last momentarily. They only like the, the fix, the, the, you know, the hit, the um, smoking, all this stuff, it only lasts for a short period of time. Every single time, all of it would be clear from their system, and they had to face reality all over again. And instead, what did they do? They went back to the next thing. And one drug got worse and worse and worse. And so I had, I had, so at the age of 11 is my first time trying to commit suicide. It's my first time really trying to inflict pain on myself, trying to, to just fail and experience anything than what society, than what my eyes could see in those moments. And so we went from, as you can imagine, in an unstable home. We were from house to house. The moment that my grandma had sold the home that we are currently living in, uh, we wind up living in cars. We were living, uh, I mean, showering at the YMCA's, which is like a, a public place to be able to go swimming and, and fun activities. And we didn't get to join in any of those activities that other kids would be smiling and playing basketball over there. We needed to get dressed, shower, get dressed as quick as we could to get to wherever our next destination was. There were other times that my mom would just leave us at place to place and people would be calling her. I remember we suffered so much at the hands of even other people. And this is why it's so important for people to see us honoring and loving one another because if, if you disrespect your parents, someone else will walk into the room and think that they could disrespect your parent too. If you disrespect so-and-so, someone else is going to think that they have the authority to do the same thing and they don't. And so people would treat us like dirt. We were kicked around. We we're nothing but placemats. I mean, I, you know, footmats. I mean, nothing. We we're the scum of the earth. There were days that they would let us outside, and we had to stay out there from, as soon, I mean, 6 o'clock in the morning till maybe 11 o'clock p.m. till they decided to let us in. Still going hungry, filthy. I mean, just nothing. We were, we were nothing. So at the age of 16, I, so I, as I endured all this hell, all this, you know, I, for me, that was hell on earth. That's what I knew hell to be. And at the age of 16, I wind up getting together with this guy. I'm 16 and he's 23. He already has three children. He's on 10 years probation, aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. And now I'm 16 years old and I'm pregnant with my first child. I have no family. I have no friends because what happens, and he also came from a life of drugs, abuse. He also came from a broken home. Uh, I mean, making money quick and fast and stuff. It wasn't stable. And so as he came from all of these things, you know, for me, when I saw it, I was like, 
This is my safe haven. Now this is, this is safety for me. I was looking for love in all the wrong places. I didn't get love from my parents. I didn't get it from a father and stuff that was currently in prison at the time. I didn't get it from anyone else around me. So what did I do? I began looking for it. The same way that my mom and every other generation before her was, were moving from men to men to men. It was the same thing I began doing until I found this guy. Oh, he's older. And he's telling me all his bad boy stuff, and I already came from a life of that. So my first thought is, okay, like, this is safety for me. He can protect me from those that were abusing me. And instead, early on in that relationship, not only am I pregnant, but I'm also going through the same thing that I was just going through. And so mental, physical, emotional abuse all over again. I wind up marrying him at the age of 18. I also, in between this, my first child... I have had a total of six children, given birth to a total of six children, and four of my children um, have passed for, um, it's not called premature, um, as stillbirths. So I've given birth at six and a half months. They were a few weeks too early to be able to deliver, but my body had had what they called a, um, some type of blood condition, uh, an incompetent cervix that I couldn't hold children. I needed to be on complete bed rest and everything else in that sort. So anyway, so my husband at the time, he winds up going on the run. In Oklahoma, they don't extradite back to El Paso. So he winds up going on the run. We are in, in Oklahoma now, and I'm going through the same thing. From women to women at the house, I'm the only one working. I'm the breadwinner. I drop out of school early on. I'm losing, you know, I'm losing children in between. And so I hate God even more now. I hated him even more now. It was worse what I had already went through, but now even my, even my very blood, my, my, you know, I had looked at other women and I see them holding their children or coming out of the hospitals. And I just remember screaming, I hate you. I hate you. And I was never shy about it. I was never shy about just the, the everything, everything. But I kept working. And I knew that the only way that we'd be able to survive was to keep working. You keep pressing. And I didn't realize that I was giving myself hope in the midst of a hopeless situation. Anyway, so my ex-husband winds up with another 16-year-old girl, gets her pregnant, and I wind up finding out about it because the police, he goes back to prison, so I move back home, right? And so I'm like, okay, now I'm, I'm an adult, I'm living back home, and I wind up pregnant. I winded up at this um, presidential suite for my sister's birthday, I hadn't connected with my family in a long period of time. I went up at this presidential suite. They got, I mean, top notch, everything. I, it's, it was incredible. This is the most lavish I had ever lived in my lifetime. So I am loving it. But as quickly as, as quickly as it came, as quickly as the invite was accepted, you get there and you start seeing, oh wow, the people that afforded this, it's not because they're rich. It's because they're the cartel. So my sister actually was dating a cartel member from right across the border, which was what is Mexico. I don't know if you all know that, but in El Paso, right across the border is what is Mexico. And so she's dating this cartel member at the time, and he's the one paying, he's, they're laying out money, but where money is, drugs are also. Because they didn't get the money from nowhere, they got it from slinging the drugs. So now drugs are standing before us, and it goes into this peer pressure. Thank you, my love. And it goes into this peer pressure 
you know, just try a little bit. Up until this point, the only thing I had really tried was marijuana. And I mean, you just like fall asleep on it. It's, it's, yeah, it was the worst thing ever. And I just vowed since that day, I'll never touch this stuff again. And um, so when they have these pills, they have all this stuff, all these drugs everywhere. And it's like, do it, do it. And everybody else is doing it. And so I'm like, okay. So it was my first time taking this drug. And as I'm taking it, I no longer have control of my physical body. I mean, I, I, was, I was everywhere. Things are coming in and out on me. And, and I remember, you know, I just want it to go away. I just want it to go away. I want it to go away. But guess what? Once you take that drug, whatever it may look like, it doesn't go away. And for so many people that I've known, they've actually become addicted since the very first one. And so now I live a life to not only expose what drugs do to people, but also living a life and stuff to let them know never to touch it. Don't ever touch it. It's not worth your life. It's not worth those around you to, to impress people. It's not worth any of that stuff. It will take your life from you. It will truly take your life from you as quick as you take it. It will take it all. It will mess up your family. It will mess up yourself. And so, um, yeah, so there's a lot of different gang members there and everything else. Anyways, as anyone else on drugs, I wind up getting pregnant with a gentleman that I don't know, never seen. I couldn't even recognize his face after that moment. I'm back at my mom's house. I lose my car. I'm back in bed rest. And the only thing that the doctors could say to me is abort. Abort the baby. We've told you time and time again, you cannot have children. Abort the baby. And I remember there's days that my mom, though she was still on drugs and still combating and battling these addictions, there was no one home. And so even pregnant, I was going hungry. I was almost homeless. I had nothing. I was nothing. Until this guy shows up. And he says, hey, I'll take care of you. You know, my mom will feed you. And he's like, you know, you're pregnant with my child. I was embarrassed because I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I don't even know you. You know, and so I wind up moving with his, with his mom. And the second week or the second day, I can't remember the exact time frame, but I, I got my first beating from him. And that beating was not like any other beating I had ever taken in my lifetime. I learned very, very, very quickly not to fight back. I learned very quickly when you're getting dragged around the house, shirts around your throat and stuff, you're being kicked, punched, and everything else. And my only thought in that time frame was protect my womb, protect my womb, protect my womb. And so I'm being beaten throughout this time, weekly, I mean daily, weekly, until one day he winds up beating me so bad that he was forced to take me to the hospital. And the way he took me into the hospital was a shirt wrapped around my throat, dragging me through the, um, the gravel. My body's being cut up, everything exposed. You know, it's, it's funny because I'm not even worried about the pain. I'm worried about like, oh, cover myself up types of things, right? And, um, and yeah, and uh, so at that moment, I tried to, you know, press charges. And, but my first thought was, check the baby. Is the baby okay? So not only did I come from life of abuse, in my childhood, but also in every single 
relationship that I had been in up to that very moment. And because I had never learned how to stop it, I had never learned how to fight for myself. I had never learned how to say no, to go to authorities, to try to seek help. I didn't have other women in my life to say, hey, I see you have a black eye right now. What can we do to help you? I see you're doing the signals and stuff that you're in distress, that you're in need of help and stuff. What can we do to help you? How can I get you out of this situation? Every woman that I had encountered, including, including those close to me, including my family members, had seen me being beaten. They experienced it. They saw it. They witnessed it. And they left me there. Well, make sure you don't do anything bad again. Make sure you don't talk back next time and stuff because you might get it worse. It wasn't about trying to protect those around you. It wasn't about trying to get people the right help. Everybody was too afraid to speak up. Everyone was too afraid to speak out on my behalf. For my life, no one wanted to say anything. It was like crickets in a room. But God, but God, but God saw me in every situation I went through. He saw me. Every time I was on that floor, he saw me in the hospital beds. He saw me in it, and he pulled me out of it. Years down the line, years down the line, I wind up working at this place at Applebee's, and it's funny because they would come in and minister. I didn't realize and stuff that when the Lord is calling you, the Bible says that no one comes to the Father unless they're called and drawn by him, by him. And so every Tuesday, a gentleman would come in. His name's Mr. King. Praise God for Mr. King. He would come in. He would have his Bible, open it up. He would always sit in my section, drove from the total opposite side of town just to be at that Applebee's, and he would minister the word of God to me. He was an elder, so I never would disrespect, you know? I mean, I learned all that stuff the hard way. But um, Wednesdays, Thursdays, excuse me, the Bible study, which I was a part of back home, for, I was a part of it for almost nine years, my husband longer. They would come in every Thursday and minister to me. Then on Fridays, a youth group. The power, the power of little old me, I'm a server at the time. I'm just here, I'm just a waiter. You know, they don't know what I had to go home to. They didn't know what my past looked like. They didn't know what my life looked like. All that they knew was, wow, she still had a smile on her face. And because of that, they wanted to sit in my section. But I believe that it was even more than that. I believe that the Lord intricately and purposely had them sitting in my uh, sections for a reason. Because along the way, the Lord began to bring back my husband. And I had known him since childhood, middle school, high school. He had even asked me out at some point in time. I said no. Went over here with this other guy. And, um, and so now he's showing up with a few of our friends and he's ministering to me. And I remember looking at him and I'm like, look. You could preach to me all you want. I will never go to church with you. I'll never go to church. I'll never step foot in there. Okay. Anyway, so the Lord's not done with me. He's never done with us, right? And um, months had passed, and he continued pursuing. Everybody continued pursuing. They could have given up on me. They could have thrown in the towel. They could have seen that there was no fruit being bared right then and there. They could have seen all of that and just washed their hands with me in just a second, asked to sit in someone else's section that might have been more receptive. 
but they didn't. They kept coming, and the Lord kept chasing, and he kept chasing until one day he winds up releasing a prophetic vision, which actually turned out to be true. One of my friends that I was out drinking with, and we're waiting to get out of work so we could drink together, and, um, you know, this prophetic vision is released, and she just stops and stops. This is what happens when you hear a word from the Lord, when you see a vision from the Lord. This is what happens. You have the ability in that very moment to obey, relay, and change the trajectory of people's lives. And so that's exactly what happened when my husband released that prophetic vision, stopped her dead in her tracks. We decided she's crying, she's bawling. It turned out to be completely true. I had no idea. I thought she was nuts just as much as he was. But when she begins to testify, this is true. How did they know? How is it possible that, that he knows these things about me? All of us went to church that following Sunday. <laughs> All of us went to church. I remember sitting up in this mega church, and I'm like four or five rows from the front, and I'm already, I'm already awkward. I, I just, I don't even think I was wearing real church attire type of thing, right? And I'm just sitting there, I feel like, I feel like I'm sticking out like a sore thumb. Like everyone knows that I'm brand new, that I don't even know the Lord. I don't, you know, and then the pastor begins, the lights begin to dim and the pastor begins to speak. And I remember it just like it's in front of me now. It's the lights are beaming on him. I can't see his face. I don't know what he's wearing. I don't know any of this stuff. I don't even know the man. And he begins to expose my life, everything the good, the bad, the absolute ugly. I'm exposed. I'm naked before everybody. Most importantly, though, I'm naked before myself. I'm naked before the Lord. And almost like how in Scripture they talk about, oh, they want to cover up, you know, like cover them up and stuff. For me, I was just like, I felt so exposed. I felt so vulnerable. Like, wow. So I get out of there, and I just remember driving away that day, and I tell the Lord, in that very moment of sitting there, I knew without a shadow of a doubt he was calling me. He was calling me home. He was calling me to my rightful destination, to my rightful, to my right mind. I knew without a shadow of a doubt that he was drawing me into himself. There's a, there's a, there's a sweet presence about it. There's a sweet peace about it that even when you're in darkness, when his light shines in that darkness, Darkness never overcomes that light. And since that Sunday, the driving home, I committed my life to him. I just remember saying, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm in. I'm in. You know, and from that very day and so my whole life has changed. So that's my rescue. Redemption. I am only redeemed by the blood of Jesus. It's only because Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, came died on that cross, took the punishment for each and every one of our sins, for my sins, and I had many of them. I had so many of them. It was only because of him coming that I am justified, that we are sanctified, that we are holy and set apart for his good pleasures, for his good purpose. It's only because of the redemptive blood of Jesus. It's only because of that restoration. There was a lot of things, as you can imagine, that had to be undone, that I, I had to, it had to be 
almost like unwoven, like, like a piece of wool that, you know, it just parts. It parts pieces by pieces. And there was a lot of mindset changes. And this is the only thing that has brought in me transformation. This is the only thing by living this out, by being a doer of the word and not a hearer only, by applying the word of God to my life, to the life of my children, to the life of my family, I began finding power in it. I began finding my identity in it. If anyone is here seeking identity, this is where you find true identity. This is where you find your identity. And outside of this, outside of the Lord, you will never find your identity. I have lived the life and I promise you so many other people here today have as well. This is where our true identity is hidden. This is where our purpose is exposed. This is where it's revealed to us right here, this book. This book is living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It will cut and pierce going in to the innermost thoughts, to the soul, the intentions, every part of you. It will divide. But even more so, it will transform. It will transform like never before. And the way that I continue to walk in transformation, not just now, but every day of my life, continuing to remain free is through this word. It's by submitting myself unto the Lord. Lord, I wake up this morning. What do you need from me? I meditate on the word day and night, observing to do all that is written in it. I put my trust and my hope alone in the Lord Jesus. I walk by faith and not by sight. Even when it's hard, it was, it was really a faith move to get me up here today because as I've testified since earlier during prayer, I had wanted to pull out so many times. I said, Lord, you've had me do all these other assignments for you, but this one, whoa, you're asking for a lot. This one, you're telling me to expose myself in front of people that I don't even know. Yes because it brings glory to his name. It's not about me being seen. It's not about you all knowing my name. It's about you all knowing that Jesus, that Jesus has the power to save, to redeem, to set us free. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He will continue to be the same. He will continue to restore. He will continue to build back up his people. And all you have to do is say yes, yes, Lord. I yield to you. Yes, Lord, renew my mind, renew my strength. In you, I find hope. I went from a hopeless situation to walking in hope and not just walking in hope, but now I step on the scene and I am the hope. I am the thermostat in every situation, in every place that my feet tread. In every place that I go, I'm here to claim back territory for the Lord. That's why it's, it's not a big deal to me to step out into St. Paul why? Because that territory belongs to the Lord. They just don't know it yet. They're about to, you know, we, we sung, we sung earlier about revival. God, you're the God of revival. Guess what? I believe that today, and not just today, but in this season, that the Lord is raising up revivalists, raising up revivalists for our families, for our marriages, for our children, for our cities, for our state. And for our nation, we will see the hand of God over this nation. He says that if we would humble ourselves, pray and seek his face, he will hear from heaven, forgive our sins, and he shall heal our land. Yeah. I'm believing in healed land today, not just in the nation, 
but in each and every one of you, in myself, that we would continue to walk in healing, that we would walk in deliverance, that we would walk in freedom every day of our lives, that our children, my children no longer have to look and see the things that I saw in my life. They don't, they don't have to experience those things anymore. Now we're not just surviving anymore. We are thriving now. If you would have told me a year ago or two, you know, years ago and stuff to preach prosperity, I'm like, look, I had never seen prosperity before. I had never seen any of those things in my lifetime. So how can I preach about something that I know nothing about? But I'm telling you, as I stand before you today, oh, the Lord wants to prosper us, not just, not just financially. He wants to be in the finances, but he wants to prosper our families, our marriages, our relationships. Most importantly, our upright relationship with him. He wants to do, we have a big God, a big God. And he wants to do what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor has it entered in the heart of man, what the Lord has in store for those that love him. And so I don't believe it's coincidence that each and every one of us sit here, even that I stand here today before you, I'm honored. I am honored for this opportunity. Thank you all again. I am honored to stand here as a testament, a living, breathing testament to the glory of God, to the goodness of God. Let's give God some praise. Hallelujah. Jesus, Jesus, you're good. Hallelujah. And so I know we're about to end everything. Um, for whoever would like to, to stay and be ministered to at the end, I have my anointing oil. I'm ready to lay hands at any given second. If any of you all feel like this word, this testimony, anything that's been spoken, whether it relates to you as a whole, whether there's only bits and parts and pieces that you feel really spoke out to you, even if you just need prayer just for the Lord to continue to do his good work in you, I am happy. I'm honored to pray for you. I'm, happy, I'm, I'm honored to pray with you and to believe with you and stand in faith. Uh, I'm going to close it out in prayer, um, but anyone that would uh, like to receive some ministry, just come on up here. Um, maybe, maybe go over there. There's a little more room. And the uh, rest of you can fellowship to some degree, but we need to take down this beautiful dining area and build, put chairs back in it for tomorrow. So um, be, feel free to fellowship, but um, try to stay out of the way of everybody that's trying to clean everything up. And if you want to help, that's fine too. But I'm going to close it out. And uh, thank you all for coming again. And thank you, Ashley, um, for sharing that. There is hope. There's always hope when you have the Lord in your life. So let's close out in prayer and just feel free to go over there. Hallelujah. Father, we, we thank you. You're such a good daddy. Lord, and if there's anyone here today that doesn't understand your father's love and that you are a good dad, Lord, they've never had that in their life, I thank you that, Holy Spirit, you lead them.
to come and receive some ministry, Lord, that their hearts would be open to receive all that your Father's love has to give them today. Father, anyone else that just uh, needs a touch from you, Lord, whatever that might mean today, thank you that they feel free to come up and receive that from you today. We just thank you that you are such a good, good God. You're always there for us. You've never left us nor forsaken us, even though we maybe thought you did. We just thank you, Father, for your faithfulness, as we can see in the life of Ashley. And, and many of us have experienced you are a faithful God. Even when we were faithless, you were still faithful to us. So we thank you for that, Lord. You are dependable. There's nothing too big for you to handle in our lives when we give it to you. We thank you. We have the greater one living in us. Father, we just we are so full of gratitude right now that I, I don't know, Lord, what to say just other than thank you. That doesn't seem sufficient, but thank you. Thank you for all you are to us. Thank you for all you do for us. Thank you for just giving us the opportunity and the privilege of calling you Father, Daddy, Pops, whatever you want us to call you to be intimate with us. And so we thank you for that today, Lord. Thank you for travel mercies for everybody as they go home today. Thank you that the word that has been spoken today, Lord, into our hearts is sealed by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, that it was just the beginning today. Lord, you that began a good work in each one of us will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. We thank you. We give you all the honor, all the glory, all the praise that is due you and you alone today. In Jesus' name. And all God's children shouted. Amen. That was pretty pathetic, okay? <laughs> One more time. And all God's children shouted. Amen. I'll let you go.